0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. So tonight we're going to pick back up and we are in the part humility with others. Humility with others. We started out talking about the truth about pride. We looked at humility with God, and then we got into humility with others, and we were covering that, and we stopped last time, I think, at 1 Peter 5. We were going to look at that. We're not going to take a long look at 1 Peter 5 here tonight, but we ended with our 10th slide and simply stating this, that without humility in relationships and community, there is No unity, there is no empathy, there is no long-suffering or understanding, and there is no good leadership. This is what Peter talks about when he's addressing in chapter 5 both the leadership and the laity. He's talking to both the pastors and he's talking to the members. And Peter, the apostle, he lays it out and he says that you must have humility one with another. It was a key component. He tells those that are in charge to the elders. He said, I'm also a fellow elder, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, you are not to lord over them. Just because God has given you the responsibility for leadership does not exalt your seat. It doesn't exalt your status. We talked about the purpose of the pulpit and what this was all about. It is not to elevate the person that is preaching to a celebrity status. It is elevate the word of God. And so he tells them, don't lord over them. You're doing this. You are living, not as a dictator, but you are living as an example. And so you've got to possess humility to those that are in the church, those that are here. He said, you have to have humility one with another. He doesn't exhaust it. He leaves it there. We could exhaust that in our life. But let's just say this, that the church will not work without humility. The church does not work without humility. As we grow, as we work to uh, uh, maximize the resources that God has given us and to steward best our time and energies and spaces, We have to have humility. Whenever you grow, there's going to be, uh, somebody said, growing pains. Uh, Whenever you go forward, there is going to be friction. Whenever you have movement, there is going to be friction. And so growth, uh, by necessity, it brings sometimes new challenges. It brings things. And the only way you can grow really successfully is you've got to have humility. And so what Peter was letting us know is that there is no unity in the church without humility. We've got to be unified together. Amen. Well, we're all different. We're all going to like different things. We like... Uh, 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 Just as a prime example, we like to eat different things. We all have different budgets. So if we're going to have fellowship in the church, somebody's got to be willing to sit down at a table that maybe they didn't choose. See, it's easy to get the concept of humility and service, but this humility thing has to go beyond that. We've got to be okay with that. I remember I, I didn't like Taco Bell when we got married because uh, I, I knew too many people that had worked there, and when the meat came in, it, it on the package said, grade F, but edible. And I thought if you, and I'm sure they've done much better now. You know, this is back, back in the, I know it's much better now. We, we have, our standards have just risen so much in America now in fast food. But when the meat comes in and it gives you a grade that's not what you're thinking, and then it puts a qualifier on it, but it's edible, it just wouldn't. And, and I got married, and my wife loved Taco Bell. Oh, I'm gonna tell you, you gotta have humility. And so I had to sit down and I had to learn. And, 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 and I, I'm, I'm being light. My wife's never in here to defend herself on Wednesday night. My poor wife, I love my wife, she's wonderful. And the reality is, she probably had a ha- whole lot more humility with me in my life. Um, but you can't have unity in anything without humility. You cannot have empathy one with another without humility because we all have come from different places and different walks and different scenarios. And you cannot have any long suffering or understanding without humility. And you definitely cannot have. Amen. Any good leadership without having humility. Proverbs 13 and 10 tells us this. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Without humility from this passage, we know without humility there will be strife. Because pride brings contention. And we talked about this at the beginning. You don't have a people problem, you have a pride problem. And that's really where that's at. And so in, in, in marriage, in relationships, in homes, in families, there is no contention that at this crime scene we say there is not the traces of pride left there. Pride will bring contention. So if there's ever conflict or issues, always, every scenario, there's pride somewhere. So whenever there's conflict in my life, the first thing I know based on the Word of God it's okay, I better start looking for the pride. And that doesn't mean start looking for the pride in somebody else. What well, is the problem? Well, bless God, she's got pride. Or bless God, he's got pride. That's easy to do. No, I'm not talking about that. You start looking with, why did this set you off then? Why did this make you, me angry? Why did this make me upset? If they're upset, okay, that makes sense. But why is this making me upset? So where's the pride in my life? Where is that that's causing that to work? So, um, uh, yeah, so let's go on. All right, so let's. that's humility with others. We're finishing there. Let's go to the next subject, the next category, and that is this, that I want to talk about The truth about confidence. Now, we're looking at the first virtue, humility, and we want to look at the truth about confidence. The truth about confidence. Now, this is an interesting thing because we're talking about humility, not pride, but the Bible tells us and lets us know that we will have confidence. We can have confidence in Christ. We can have confidence in this life. And we don't want to have a false interpretation of humility. We don't want to be living in a certain way where we are claiming or thinking that, well, this is how I have to be to be humble, and we live in a place where we lack confidence. Here's the thing. We cannot confuse arrogance with confidence, and we cannot confuse confidence with arrogance. That's a dangerous pitfall. Because they really are two different things. And they really don't coexist. Confidence and arrogance really don't coexist. Arrogance, and you can go to the uh, slide, um, I don't know which slide it is, slide. But arrogance comes from pride. True confidence comes from humility. Arrogance comes from pride, but confidence comes from Humility. Pride says, I'm better. Humility says, I'm not. I need help. Pride says, I don't need help. Humility says, no, I'll welcome the help. Arrogance says, I can do this all by myself. Arrogance says, these people are here to serve me. Humility says, no, I'm here to serve them as they are here to serve me. We are working together together. And when you're in a team, there's a confidence in understanding. If there is arrogance on the part of another and I'm serving someone or you're serving someone or you're in a marriage or a relationship, work scenario, and that person is arrogant, it's all about them all the time, the only, the, the, the only thing you can count on in success in that relationship is, well, I can't cross them, I can't be tr- honest with them, I can't really bring any issues. There's no confidence in that relationship, but humility recognizes I'm not perfect I have shortcomings yes I need help but it also knows that other people have are humble and they recognize themselves and there's a confidence that if there is an issue I can go to that person and we can talk about this and we can work this out together without getting our feelings hurt we can love one another and we can there's a confidence in that relationship you, you don't get to a place people say, Well, you have a perfect marriage, or they have a perfect marriage, or I've seen this couple, they have a perfect marriage. I don't know that there is a perfect marriage. Can I be honest? I don't know there is a perfect marriage. I don't know people that have been married for uh, uh, decades upon decades that still don't at sometimes maybe could have uh, uh, temptations, challenges, opportunity for. Uh, conflict there, but the confidence that grows in a marriage, a long-seasoned happy marriage, comes from that of humility, knowing that hey, I I'm I can be as I am, and and they're still going to love me because they've always loved me, and they've had opportunity to leave but they didn't leave, and it brings it brings a a, a freedom, a refreshing wow that I can be real. It, it's it's the same way in the church. I don't want to go to a church where I have to just be perfect all the time. But I want to know that, man, if if I go through a bad season, if I'm sick, if something's happened, I can come back to church and I can go back to the altar and people are there to love me and to strengthen me. Amen? And for you, and, and, and the pastor's not just going to kick me out because I did one thing wrong. No, he, they're going to work and they're going to love. That's where that comes from. So arrogance, it's pride that brings arrogance in someone's life that says, look, I don't need anybody else. I can do this on my own. But it's, it's humility that brings confidence in someone's life, confidence uh, uh, that, that everything's going to be okay. And I could spend a lot of time here. I won't, but let me just highlight a couple things. Pride will ultimately cripple anyone into fear. A lot of people that are arrogant, a lot of people are, that, that are absolutely arrogant, sometimes you can just smell it, as you say. They're just, wow. They lack so much self-esteem. They lack so much within themselves. And so it's almost like a front because pride cripples people into fear. As you age, as you grow, the fear comes of not being what you once were. I don't have as much hair as I used to have. There, there comes with maturity. There comes a certain amount of humility, where you identify. Hey, I, I, I maybe I, I, uh, I can't run like I used to run. I can't. Uh, I can still run. Oh, don't get me wrong, but going, I'm never going to be 19 years old again. I'm never going to be whatever. There's realities in life as you grow. Is this all right? Okay. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe you all don't ever deal with those realities. But, okay, thank you. Thank you, Brother Bollinger. I, thank you. Fear can cripple you. Pride can cripple you into fear by being afraid that I'm not going to be what I once was, okay? So since I'm up here and I'm preaching or teaching, I could do this. If, if I've ever preached uh, uh, and taught and had an excellent message, wow, well, now I have to do it again. People expect me to do it again. Well, that, that's nerve-wracking. That's like, you know, man, I, I tell you, singers have it easy. They get up and they can, I, 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 they can sing a song and everybody loves it, and they get up and sing the same song again, and everybody loves it. They just keep singing the same song. But if I walk up here with the same sermon every service, you know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying here? Same thing in life. All of a sudden, what if I can't do that? What, what if I can't be that? What if I that fear can cripple you into, uh, into a place of worrying about what that you weren't, what you once were, fear of not being what you think you are fear of not being what you think others think you are pride is so debilitating it's why it's so refreshing sometimes when you meet somebody that's humble that has no air about them it is so refreshing it's so ref- to me to me the the quintessential explanation of this i read i can't remember the author now millionaire next door the millionaire mind he wrote a bunch of books came out in the late 90s They were excellent books, little studies, and what he was saying back then. So this is probably 20 plus years ago. He said that most of the of the most well off people in North America were people that you would not necessarily know it. They didn't they didn't own jets. They didn't flash all of their money. He said, now, there's such a small percentage of people that really ever make the tabloids and the newspapers and the magazines and all that stuff, celebrity status, you know, gobs of money. He said, but most of the people that have stuff... They don't necessarily... He said, it doesn't mean that they live like paupers. They have nice things. They drive decent cars. They live in a nice home. But they're just not flashing things. He said, a lot of times, you meet these people at the diners. It's not at the highfalutin, fancy kind of things. And he says, the ones that always have to have the latest and the best, he said, those are the ones that are so over-leveraged on their debt that in reality, he said, they're trying to live up to something. He said... And this is in his book. It was The Millionaire Mind and The Millionaire Next Door. door. And he said in both of those, he said, really, the wealthy? He said the wealthy, most of them, he said, they graduated with nothing more than a four-year college degree, if that. Most of them were high C to B average students. They weren't the A plus. They weren't whatever. But they just knew how to live life. They lived in older homes. And they were just, they, they weren't worried about what everybody else thought, I'm going to tell you, when you get to a place, now, when you get to a place when you don't care about what other people think, and you know what I'm saying, not in a bad, not in a bad way, I hope, I hope you, like, at least care a little bit about how you smell when you go out in public, so you understand what I'm saying in that, but pride is so, man, it, it dictates your every mood, it dictates everything, because it's arrogance, Why, well, uh, uh, you know, people that just, man, you know, I'm the most beautiful person in the world, or I'm the most whatever, well, then you're always bound by that. Hey, when you say, look, hey, God, maybe I am what I am. I'm just going to enjoy this life, and I'm just going to go out. There's something that's liberating in that. Amen. Amen. Folks, you don't get this kind of teaching everywhere. (laughs) True humility before God brings self-worth. Pride does not bring self-worth. True humility before God brings self-worth. Listen to this. In Psalms 139 and 14, yes, he's creator and I'm just a creature. Yes, I'm just uh, as dust. Yes, I'm as nothing and to dust I will return. But he said, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. My self-worth is not tied up in me. It's tied up in Him. Yes. Pride says, I don't need God. I'm so great. Oh, no, that's a, you're going to fall so quick. Humility says, I'm just creature. He's the creator. I'm nothing. I can't control anything. But because He's so great, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm nothing, but yet he saw fit to breathe life into me. My self-worth doesn't come from pride. It comes from humility before God. My confidence then is not tied to my arrogance or my failings, but my confidence is tied to his greatness and his goodness. So my confidence in life is not in my ability. My confidence in life is in The humility I have before God, he created me. So if he created, and how did he create me? He created me in his image. And if he created me, then he created me for his purpose. And if he created me for a purpose, he created me for his glory. And he's going to get all the glory. So there's value in my life. And if there's value in my life, then I've got confidence. Man, there's a confidence... So much, and man, didn't we have a wonderful time this past, uh, I think it was Saturday night, I appreciated so much that that Pastor Akil Thompson stepped out of the ordinary, he brought the, he brought the podium down there, and he just taught on peace. He told me, he said, I'm feeling in the Holy Ghost, that I need to go a different direction and just talk about peace. Because peace is absent from so many people's lives. And we can come to church, and we can have a Altar experience and, and, and God fill us with the Holy Ghost and everything. But if we are not crucifying the flesh and we are letting pride reign and rule in our life, it is hijacking every peace and every confidence that God has for us. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to the Wednesday night crowd. I'm preaching to the people that, uh, you know, you're, you're pushing aside schedules to be here. It, it, it's hard to go to church Um and I, and I understand work and all this stuff, but you can't just go to church when it's convenient ever so often and expect to be walking in absolute peace and confidence. If, you, if, if church is an auxiliary option in your life, well, maybe the issue there is pride. Humility says, I need to be in the house of God. Humility says, I mean, uh, humility says, uh, uh, well, we'll just go on. C.S. Lewis said, Humility. uh, I don't know, did I put the quote of C.S. Lewis? I didn't give that quote. Oh, man, I wanted to put that quote up there. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So, what am I teaching when I'm teaching humility? I don't want you to walk out of here and everybody go, oh, man, I'm nothing, I'm worthless. No, that's that's despotism, being despondent, being depressed.' That's, that's oppression. that No, God is saying no, you, you, you're nothing in your own eyes, but you're something because I created you. There is self-worth. there is value in humility. Pride says, I'm good all by myself. I don't need God. Wow, that's a dangerous place to go. Because the Lord said, you don't even know how many hairs you have on your head, but God knows all of them. He said, you can't even think and, and grow your stature, but God controls everything. The circadian rhythm, I was reading about the circadian rhythm a little bit today. And Lord willing, I'm going to take my family in May to a vacation, and we're going to go to a dark site out in Utah in the middle of nowhere. and We're going to look up, see the stars. We get out there, we, talk, we, were, we were all excited about that. Um, the circadian rhythm is, is is the the rhythm that scientists says for billions of years our our universe our known galaxy our our universe has existed. And I can't remember where I was going with that. <laughs> what was I What was I talking about? Thinking of yourself less. There was a point, it will hit me tonight. As I'm going through the Chick fil A drive through, I'm gonna have this aha moment. It was good. I had a great point. It wasn't in my notes. See, I'm not worried about it. Can't get this preaching everywhere, folks. No masterpiece here, no worried about that. Somebody say, Help them, Lord. Humility is not feeling worthless. Humility is seeing worth in every living being. The same pride that leads you to think others are worthless will also lead you or cause you to feel worthless yourself at some point in your, in your life. As, as, as suicide and the, and, and the culture of death escalates in our society, where's that coming from? It's not coming from a place of humility. Humility it's coming from a place of projected pride where we we say i don't need god in my life no i don't know where i was going with that previous story but i, I never feel more awed by god than when i'm out in the middle of the wilderness when i'm in on a mountain when i'm hiking a canyon when i'm under a, a, a dark sky and the old hymn will never get old to me. How great thou art. Of how awesome he is. Wow. I'll never forget the first time growing up in Indianapolis. There's, you know, there's no real mountains. In fact, the city of Indianapolis sits in a, like a, a, a bowl. And uh, all the terrain around there sort of slumps down Indi- in Indianapolis. So tornadoes would sort of come in there and always do uh, massive damage. If they didn't bounce over, if they ever came in, and so I remember the first time—I think I was six, uh, no, I think I was 14 years old—and I flew out to Salt Lake City, and I'd never seen the Rocky Mountains. And I remember the first time I saw the Rocky Mountains. And I spent a, a week or so out there with one of our youth leaders, Brother Jim Sliva, and we were working, hanging out with the church there, and some other things. And we went up to the largest open pit copper mine in the world is, is just southwest of the city, and we drove up a little dirt road, and you could get on the west side of that copper mine, and you could see the city past there, and we were up on top of this mountain, and we hiked up there, and somebody had given us some military rations or, or whatever those uh, lunches are, and yes, and so we, we went up there, and we, we hiked to the top of the mountain. Man, it was cold. Uh, the wind at night at the elevation we were. And so we came back down the mountain just a little bit and uh, found some uh, uh, wood and uh, got together, built a fire, and we were hanging out there eating military rations, which those aren't, that's not the best food in the world. And as we were eating that on the side, I I remember just sitting there, man, just I had never experienced something like that. And it did something to me as a 14-year-old young man And on that mountain, we began to pray, and I was with other apostolic young men, and uh, we're all about teenage years in the church there, and the brother Slee was there, and he had his guitar, pulls out his guitar, and we began singing, and man, the power of the Holy Ghost. I'd never felt, I'd felt the Holy Ghost at home, I'd felt the Spirit of God in different contexts, but I'd never felt the power of God out in the middle of the woods, in the middle of the wilderness, and ever since then, it's just done something to me. And when you get out there, you realize it's this paradox of realizing how small I really am, but yet you don't feel worthless. You feel like life is being breathed into you. It's like when you come down the mountain, I have more purpose than when I went up the mountain, and I, but yet I have more revelation of how insignificant and how small I am. Humility is not feeling worthless. Humility sees worth in every living thing because God created us. The same humility that respects and values others will cause you to respect and value yourself. So you want to feel better about yourself? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Let's go on. Humility is not doubt. Be careful that you do not confuse humility with self-doubt. We could spend time on that. There's so much warning in the Bible to the foolish. There's so much warning in in the Bible to those that live foolishly, that act foolishly, that have a proud heart. And the purpose of it is intending to humble them, trying to be a warning. Hey, be careful where you go. Proverbs 16 and 19 says, Better is it to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud, it is better to be of a humble spirit with those that have nothing than it is to be over there dividing the spoil with those that are proud. You are better off in every manner in life. That's not just talking in eternity. I'll tell you this: you're better off. You'll have more joy. You'll have more happiness. You'll have more peace. Amen. Money, uh, uh, money can be a blessing. Praise God. Thank God for that. There's nothing wrong with money. In that sense. But that's not the answer. It can also be a miserable thing. And it would be better to have a little. The Bible says, little with a righteous man is better than the riches of many wicked. Because you'll be miserable in your life. How many people have been that way? How many people have walked away from everything and just to go serve? Amen. So humility produces confidence. When humility produces the confidence, you are free to place your confidence in God. Pride says, I've got to be, I've got to do, I've got to maintain this image. Humility says, it's all his. Humility acknowledges there's a season for everything and God's moving me in a season and the same God that blessed me in the last season will carry me through this season and keep me. Pride holds on to our human fleeting successes. Humility brings confidence. In humility, God becomes all in all. Go back to our first first or second lesson, I think it was, when we covered that. In humility, God becomes all in all because we realize, what was the the statements that they said? They said, uh, the first two quotes I think we used in the series was, when we remove ego, we are left with what is real. And Andrew Murray said of the humble, he sees that humility is simply acknowledging the truth of his position as creator, creature, and yielding to God his place. In humility, God becomes all in all. And we don't have to be all in all. Humility releases you from the pressure of fear, and it releases you from the pressure of peers. Humility releases you from the pressure of fear, and humility releases you from the pressure of peers. Wow. God, give us humility. Baptize us with humility. Not worthlessness. No, 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 no. Humility is going to bring value to your life. It's going to bring worth to your life. It's a paradox that the world doesn't understand. Amen. I want us to take a moment and these gentlemen are going to help me. We're going to look at the promises of humility because there are so many awesome promises in Scripture about humility. So as we look through these, let them bless you. We'll, we'll cover uh, a few Scriptures here. We're going to jump real quick through these. But uh, just highlight some of the things and sort of let it get into your spirit. Are we ready? Are we good to go? All right, we're going to go in order here. If someone has for me Psalms 138 and verse 6. Uh, If you could go ahead and read that, and we have it on the screen. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. So here is our first promise. It doesn't matter how high God is. It doesn't matter how great he is. He has respect unto the lowly. He knows them. He can connect with them, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Let's go to James chapter 4 and verse 6. And these first four all run together. But he giveth more grace. Yes. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So not only is there a promise, but there is a warning. I don't want to fall on the wrong side of God's grace. I don't want to be on the wrong side of God's grace. Not only did James quote this, but Peter quotes it also in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yes. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Oh, yes. And be clothed with humility. Mm -hmm. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Here it is. Clothed with humility. I love how he says that. Be clothed with humility. Amen. This is something we can do. You say, well, I can't be humble. Yes, you can. Be clothed with humility. He quotes the same passage. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And let's go to Proverbs 3 and 34 because both of these guys are quoting here from this passage. Surely he scorneth the scorners. He scorneth the scorners. But he giveth grace unto the lowly. But giveth grace unto the lowly. And so the translation, when it comes from Hebrew to Greek and then into English, into both of those, this is that passage that they were quoting. He scorneth the scorners, or he resisteth the proud. Those that are scorners have no audience with God. They have no access to God. But with the humble, they have access. With the humble, amen, they can go boldly into the throne room of grace because he gives grace to them. We ought to put our hands together and thank God for that. It's a promise that we have. I want to be humble when I approach God. Don't walk into the house of God in pride and arrogance, but you have to approach it in humility. Approach him in humility. Let's go to Proverbs 22 and 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Here it is. By humility and the fear of the Lord. We talked about that at length in our second uh, it, uh, part of this series. By the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Can you get wealthy uh, being wicked? Absolutely. But will you have true honor? Well, people may act like they honor you, but when they're doing it because they're chasing after the same pride that you're chasing after or motivated by the same pride you're motivated, that's not true honor. Because they'll honor you in public and do everything they can to, to, to get what you have, but they'll talk behind you behind their back. But by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Amen. I want honor. I want life. I, want, I, I mean, that's, that's the respectable thing. That's the thing that everybody wants to live for. Go to Isaiah 57 and 15, if you will. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Yes. Whose name is holy. Mm -hmm. I dwell in the high and holy place. All right. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Yes. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I, I wish we had time to exhaust this because this right here is a sermon all in itself. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy. We could do a series just on that phrase right there. Your mind will never, as far as you try to stretch it, it will never be able to truly comprehend eternity. That's the God we're talking about. But yet he says, I dwell in a high and holy place, but also with him that is lowly paradox, another paradox that brings to us. In this world, we think, no, I don't need to be humble. We need to make ourselves look better than everybody else. It's pride that motivates us, and we don't realize as we ascend in our own flesh, we descend farther away from God. But if we descend in our own flesh, we draw closer to God. We get closer to God. God says that's who he's going to dwell with. He's going to dwell with those that are humble. Let's go to the next one, Isaiah 66 and 2. For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. God says, I'm going to know where you're at. Now, does God know where all, of, where all of us are? Absolutely, he knows where we all are. He knows where the wicked are. He, he has knowledge of all things, so he knows all things in that context, absolutely. But he says, I will look upon these, as in, I will take interest, I will take care. Does God love everybody? Yes, he loves everybody. For God so loved the world. Yes, we know that. There's an unconditional love. He wants to save everybody, and he wants to redeem everybody, but his own word tells us, that I will look upon, I will desire, I'm with them, I'm working for them, that humble themselves, that are poor and of a contrite heart. Those are the ones that I can work with, the ones that are proud and that resist me. Yes, I love them if they ever come to a place of humility and repentance before God, but they've displaced me and I will not work in their life. I will not look at their life. And I will only work with those. I will look to those that are poor and of a contrite Heart. Let's go to Matthew, let's go to the New Testament chapter 18 and verse number four, "Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom. The greatest of the in the kingdom of heaven. A child that humbles himself, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's our pride that keeps us often from approaching God in the first place. And children run up to him. No, no, let's keep him away. And God says, no, if you'll humble yourself. Pride, you get older and say, I don't want to be the first one to go. I don't want to be the first one to start. I'll do it if everybody else is doing, but I don't want to be the awkward one. A child, you say, man, Luca was playing around today in the living room, I think it was. And I said, Luca, uh, we had already eaten. And he ran back off and he was playing. And I said, Luca, you want a brownie? And he said, Yeah. And he came raining, running in there, and he sat down at the table, and I got him a brownie, and we ate brownies today. Wasn't that good? Brownies for breakfast. Praise God. <laughs> Woo! We ate a brownie. Brought him to the table, man. He came running in. Other people, you have people, you have guests over to your house, and you say, Would you like, would you like to have you know dessert? Oh, I couldn't possibly. Well, since they're doing it, you know how it is. Come on, don't, don't we play these games with ourselves? I mean, come on, bring me that cheesecake every time. You know, bring what? But kids are like, yes. And the Lord is saying, hey, those that are humble, they're the, those are the same that are greatest in the kingdom. Are they great because they're great? No, you're no greater than what God can make of you. I'm no greater than what God can make of me. And so the greatest are going to be those that are the humblest that God can use. You say, well, I want to be great in the kingdom of God. Well, I remember some other people that argued about that. And and they were saying, Lord, I want to sit next to you in your kingdom. Well, no, no, I want to. I've been here longer. And they're like shoving their way out. And he says, you guys don't even realize. He said, both of you, you're going to do this. He said, you're going to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. He was talking about the cross. Little did they know that they would both die a martyr's death. Tradition tells us of the death of the ten apostles, John being the only one that would escape martyrdom, but yet even he was sent to an isle of Patmos, exiled to live out his old age there, perhaps with blindness. One account says that he was tortured by being dipped in potentially a vat of oil, hot Boiled up oil. So how humble do you want to be? What point do you have to come to to say, God, this is greater than anything else. I'm going to totally humble myself before you. He said, the child is the grace. Let's go to Luke chapter 14 and verse 11. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself himself shall shall be exalted. Promotion cometh by the Lord. Don't worry about promoting yourself in this life. Do good, work, work hard, be smart, make a good wage, love people, be honest, be respectful, but let God promote you. Let God promote you. And if God promotes somebody else, I'll never forget something that impacted my life so much. Uh, you've heard me mention Brother Jim Sleeve's name often and uh, huge influence in my life minister. He's been here and he's preached before. But his parents, his father retired from his job when our church went into a building program when I was a child in 82. And he went full-time working maintenance at the church. And when he got older, uh, he didn't do as much maintenance as he did just cleaning around the church, cleaning around the church. He was cleaning the church well uh, uh, into his 80s. Sister Mary, she worked the tape ministry, served in so many ways. Um, she's, not able, she's, she's not able to get out of her house anymore now at this point. But um, I think on his 80th birthday, my pastor had him come up. and said, Brother Sliva, we're so happy, 80, 80 years old, come up. Man never had been on the platform ever, I don't think, in his life. He said, Brother Sliva, you're here all the time, sir. I want you to come up here. And Brother Stan Sliva came up, and he said, Brother Sliva, I want you to greet the church. And here is this man who retired from his job. I mean, the guy was a genius, lived in one of the humble homes downtown Indianapolis. And he said, and his, this was what he greeted the church with. He said, don't ever be envious of somebody else if they got something that you wanted or if they got a spot in the church or wherever that you wanted. He said, because reality is they may have worked harder than you did to get there. And he handed the mic back to the pastor and sat down. And I think Brother Mooney probably went and preached a sermon off of that. something. But here was a man who was humbling himself. And he says, don't ever be envious. Promotion cometh by the Lord. And if God promotes somebody else, humility doesn't get envious and worried about that. Humility praises that. Humility goes on. God exalts the humble. The end of the proud. I'll take you to one scripture, and that's in Malachi. Let's go to Malachi chapter number 4. If you will, Malachi chapter number four, the end of the proud or the proud's end, I guess you could say, is this. In Malachi chapter number four, uh, the prophet writes, for behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. What is he saying? He's saying extermination. He's saying there's no hope for a, a, a receding. There's no hope for a pruning and a regrowth. He said that it will consume them. In verse 2, I love this, but unto you that fear my name, fear my name, there's a fear of God, or are in humility before God, shall the son of righteousness, that's the Messiah, arise with healing in his wings. To the humble, to those that fear the name of God, the Messiah is going to come with a healing. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. But then he says of the Messiah in verse 3, And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. You can look at Isaiah 2 and 12. You can look at Jeremiah 50 and 32. You can look at other places where the Bible has promised destruction to the proud. And so these are the promises of humility. Thank God. I want, to be, I want to be in a place where I stand living before God in righteousness, living before God in humility. So we close with this. We close our series with this. And i want to leave you with some questions. Humility and practice. What does humility and practice look like? Humility and practice. Let me ask you some questions. Number one, the questions that we should ask ourselves is this. Am I... An encourager of pride. Do I encourage pride in the part of others' lives? Am I encouraging pride in myself? Do nothing to encourage pride on the part of others. In our in our world, our secular me first society, we uh, uh, it's hard not to be bombarded with this this prideful spirit. But as Holy Ghost believers, you can navigate today's society. You can participate in today's modern technology and still retain humility before God and live in the fear of the Lord. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to be an encourager of pride and pride, prideful things. I was thinking about that as a parent because I don't want to project prideful things on my children in my family. I don't want to encourage that. I want to encourage humility. So when we praise one another, let us praise one another in humility. Let's be slow to stroke the ego of another. And let's be quick to build self-worth in one another because what happens is pride follows pride birds of a feather they say flock together and 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 pride finds pride sometimes when you get in a room people are joined together not just because they have the same personality but sometimes it's because they have the same spirit and we are more than just physical beings we are more than just personalities we are spiritual beings and God, I want to be, I want to be uh, possessed of humility. I want to be baptized with humility in my heart. I don't want to be an encourager of pride. I want to encourage people, not their pride. So am I an encourager of pride? The second question I would ask is who or what is feeding my pride? Am I feeding pride in my own life? Or am I, am, I, uh, am I falling prey to the flattery of other people's words? Am I hanging on that? Am I defined by that? Is my only affirmation in life based on the way, uh, 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 on likes that people give me? Am I, am I consumed by that? I can't remember what they call it now when, what do they call it when, when young people have like 20 different social media accounts? Catfishing, is that what they call it? And they, they uh, I, I've heard that term, but there was another term I was thinking of. Um, and they have all of these accounts. They have all of these ghost accounts so that they can run up their own likes, on uh, burner accounts or whatever, where they can run up their own likes. You say, oh, surely that doesn't happen. Yes, people today are opening tons of social media accounts so that when they post something, they, they you know how much work that is to sign in and sign out of all those different things? Go, oh, I got to like this, I got to like this, I got to share this. Are you feeding your own pride? Folks, seriously, are you feeding your own pride? Are are we feeding our own pride? What are we doing? Don't allow others to feed your pride. Now, for some people, they can handle some things, but for others, maybe you can't handle certain things. So don't allow others to feed your pride and stop practices that feed your own pride. We are not better. If you you do something, you walk away saying, I'm better than so-and-so or I'm better than someone else. Wow, you better be careful. Humility in practice. The number three question is, do I let God get all the glory in my life? Do I give God the glory or am I taking credit for this? Reality says that had it not been for the Lord who was with me, I would be nothing. So maybe you're raised in a wonderful, clean apostolic home, but somewhere along the line, someone had to be the first person to walk out of the muck and the mire and give their life to God and repent of their sins and be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and then be rehabilitated in their life. I I grew up in a home where my parents, um, they didn't agree all the time. Uh, But when I say my parents fought, it's nothing like other people say their parents fought. They didn't fight. They had disagreements. They They had arguments. But my mother never broke a plate over my dad's head. My parents never cursed in the house. Never cursed in the house. I mean, I was so sheltered as a child. It was the greatest blessing and gift my parents could have ever given me. I didn't know that the world was so evil because I was so blessed with the goodness of God being exampled in my home. But can I tell you, that wasn't always the story of the family. And for somebody, don't don't feel bad and say, well man, my home hasn't been, I didn't grow up in a home like that. Don't worry about that. You grow up in a home, or you you make your home the way it ought to be. But now that I get here, how dare I look at somebody else that's struggling? Is this alright? You hear me say that a lot. And look down on somebody else because who knows what God could do with their life. And I am only who I am by the grace and the mercy of God. And you say, well, pastor, I like that, but you know, I am pretty smart. And I am, I have, I haven't you know, I have, I have made a lot of money. Well, yeah, and the wisest person that ever lived, Solomon, told us that time and chance happened to everybody. Had you happened to be born in another part of the world, you wouldn't have had the opportunity to even make the money. Had you happened to be born in another part of the world, your smarts wouldn't have even meant anything, wouldn't have been able to use it. What if, God, what, what if you were born a 1,000 years ago? You say, man, I'm, I'm the best video game designer in the whole world. Well, you just happen to fall in the right place, in the right time, time and chance. You, we are nothing before God. So do I give God all the glory? Yes, I give all, all the glory. We have to. Yes, you give all the glory to God. And then the last question is this. Do I have joy, sorrow, and empathy for others? Am I able, let's say, to have joy, sorrow, empathy for others? And what do you mean by this? Here's what I mean by this. When, when good happens to somebody else, can I be joyful with them without it bringing pain to my ego? Is that all right? When bad happens to somebody else, can I grieve with them? Or am I saying, well, they had it coming? Or hateful things? Or do you feel happy when bad happens to somebody else? Or is there empathy, empathy that goes out and say, "Man, I've never been what they've been through. I, I don't even know what to say. I, I, there's nothing to say, but I'm praying for you, and I love you." I close with this tonight, and it's eight seventeen. And so I close with this, a final passage, and I want to take you to the book of Romans, because I feel like Paul gives to us, in a few verses, he gives to us the picture of humility and practice. And as, as we bring this series to a close, I think this sort of sums it all up for us. In Romans chapter number 12, and we begin at verse number 9, Paul says this, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Pride will never let you do that. Bless and curse not. It's humility that looks at somebody that just cussed you out, cut you off, did something on the job, that looks and says, if I didn't have God in my life, that probably would be me. If that mother hadn't been abandoned, if that son hadn't been in this situation, if this hadn't happened, who knows, but there they are. And so rather than, rather than continue to react with evil for evil, I'm going to bless them and I'm going to love them. I heard a quote today and it said this, it said, lack of character should never be answered with lack of character. You'll find lack of character, and at some point in life, every one of us will be the one with lack of character. But you don't solve anything by having lack of character or answering lack of character with lack of character. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably. With all men. And I think the reason why he said that is because there are some people in this world that will not let you live in peace with them. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Pride says, I've got to take care of this right now. Humility says, God's going to take care of this in his own time. And finally, we come to the last verse. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, for in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. A soft answer turns away wrath and humility is the only salve, it's the only balm for pride. Can you stand together with me tonight? It's the first virtue, and we need it. We need a baptism of it, we need a revival of it, and we've got to maintain it in our life. Would you lift your voice with me right now, and can we thank God for His Word, and can we ask God to have His way in our spirit? Lord, in Jesus' name. God, I thank You for loving us. I thank You for the deep work of the word in our life. I thank you for these times that we've come together.